Uh, welcome this morning. Everybody take a seat. Now, as Justin said, this is, this is a great book. I love the book of James. I was so excited when he sent the message a few weeks back and said this is going to be the next area where parking ourselves in and unpacking. Because, to be honest with you, it's one of the, mo- the most favourite books for myself. I love it. And the reason I do is because James makes it simple. I like simple. I am a simple person. I like black and white. I like wrong and right. And if there is wrong, I like to make it right. That's why I enjoy being a business manager, because it's just like this way or that way. There's nothing in between. And that works for me. But I love the fact that it's so simple. I love the fact that it's direct. James doesn't pull any punches. He really just nails things. And I think we're going to see a couple of things nailed this morning. So please bring your forgiveness towards me because this is the word of God, not the word of Steve. And all I'm doing is unpacking what James has written under the inspiration and the unction of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that it's personal. I love the fact that it's a general epistle. It's just to everyone. It's not focused at a particular church or a particular situation. It's logical. And I love the fact that it's directional. It is always leading us on and upwards to something better, something greater, and it's always pointing to a deeper relationship with God. And I hope we get that out of this morning. And one of the things I've loved over the last few weeks, listening to the podcast and being here, is the analogy that Pastor Justin has been bringing about this book being like an x-ray. It sort of just looks deep into who we are, and there's this skeleton. And we can look and see, okay, I can understand basically how that works, but at times we need to unpack that and we need to connect a few things and really start to see what we're looking at. And James has a great ability to be able to just, it's like an open heart surgery at times when you read his scriptures. It just allows us to have a look into ourselves and to challenge some of the things we believe and we do. See, last week we finished with chapter 3 and we learnt what it is to have peace and what it is to be peacemakers. So here I was thinking, well, we'll step into something nice here this morning. We lead from that, peace, peacemakers, this whole rainbows <laughs> that we were speaking about this morning. And then we get to this verse in chapter 4, verse 1. And this is where James goes after talking about peace. And he says, what quarrels... And what causes fights, or sorry, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? We go straight from peace and being peacemakers, and he goes straight into the, hang on, church, what is causing quarrels and what is causing fights? He wouldn't be asking this question if it wasn't actually taking place. So obviously in the Christian circles, there were quarrels taking place, there were fights happening. And it is James. He's not just making a statement. He opens with that statement saying, what? He's asking the reader to ask themselves, what is causing these quarrels? What is causing these fights? See, we've gone to problems where there should be peace. And James asks, what is it? And I love that because it allows us at times to set back and say, okay, what causes quarrels, what causes fights in my life? What are the things that motivates that? Because we've got to realise a quarrel or a fight, an argument, 
They're not the problem. They're just a symptom of the underlying problems. That's the manifestation. It's the outworking of something that's deeper. See, we don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm going to have a fight. Well, hopefully we don't. If you have, it's probably been a bad night the night before. But most of us don't wake up wanting to get into a fight. It's an outworking of something deeper, something that's happening within our lives. And I think James leads us on a path with his self-observation, with his self-awareness that is great for all Christians. One of the most powerful things we can do as Christians is to be self-aware. It's God-aware, but to have that ability to step back at times and answer the questions like James asked here and say, what causes this? What is bringing this up? Why am I offended? Why am I going to start an argument here? What's happened? And James says in verse 2, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. See, incorrect passions and desires are the problem. That's what manifests the quarrels and the fights. It's having those in the wrong things, the wrong passions. See, when people's aims are their own desires, they'll always be struggling, fighting, even to the point of hating. When it's just somebody focusing on their own aims, their own desires, their own passions, often that leads to this manifestation that James is talking about. You ever seen the movies and you've got this mother or a father fighting with the child and it's on? And in the end of it, the parent puts their foot down and says, this is the way it's going to be. And the child, I hate to say this, but the child's reaction in the movies is they stand there and say, I hate you. And off they go and they slam the door. Quarrels and fights can lead to that. But it's not the fight, it's the thing underlying the fight. It's that passion, that desire that's brought that manifestation forward. See, I had a, did a counselling course a few years back and this one sentence has set me free in so many areas of my life. If you get nothing out of this preach this morning but this, take a hold of this. It was a very simple statement that the, the um, teacher said. But he said, unfulfilled expectation is the root of all conflict. Let me say it again. Unfulfilled expectation is the root of all conflict. When you go in to a situation and a circumstance, knowing what you want, knowing what your desire is, knowing what your passion is, and you don't give any room for the other person's, conflict will happen. Because your goal and your aim is selfish. It's upon your wants. It's upon your needs. And that's what James talking about here. He's saying our passions and our desires are wrong. See, by our nature, our pleasures seem to tend or tend to rule in our lives. The things we want to do, the things we enjoy to do, they're the things that dominate our decisions. They're the things that dominate our conversations. They're the things that push forward in so much of our lives, in our relationships. When we desire the wrong things, the wrong things are produced in us. When we desire evil things or covet things that are not our own, 
and the things we shouldn't want, then evil things are produced within us. See, it's about the desires. It's about those passions and what we're doing. And out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So if a desire is wrong, a passion is wrong, our focus is wrong, we get into an argument with, even with the people that are closest to us, the heart then comes through the mouth, and out of that comes fights and conflicts. And words that we may not normally say. That is why James said earlier, to tame this little thing that's a beast within our mouth. It's so dangerous. Because in those times, we will say hateful things. And it said earlier in the scripture that even to the point of murder, now we might not murder someone, but the things we can say can cause death. We have to be careful of these things. That's why conflicts come. We need the grace of God to free us from the selfish attitudes. It's that simple. We need God's grace to set us free. See, God made us for his pleasure, not ours. That's a hard pill to swallow at times. Because we want pleasure. We have desires. But ultimately, when we become his and we give ourselves to him, those things die and we take up his desires and his pleasures. His passions. And they need to be the foremost in our lives, in our hearts. Particularly when we're engaging with his people. Which is everyone. See, when we live for others, not for ourselves, fights and quarrels cease. I know from experience, when you go into a situation, you know, in business we're taught to have a win-win scenario. You always should have a win-win. Sometimes in relationships and personal interactions, a win-lose is often a good choice. It's better to lose the argument and win the person than win the argument and lose the person. And when you live for others, not for self, not for your own passions and desires, but for theirs and God's, then quarrels and fights diminish. And hopefully, eventually, completely go away. No longer a part of your life because you're living in harmony, the way he's created us to be, the way we're meant to live together. Verse 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. See, there's often we won't ask things of God because we know deep down it's selfish. We know it doesn't line up with what he wants for us. We know it's not going to be a part of the full picture. And can I be honest? Sometimes we don't ask because we know he's going to say no. Because it doesn't line up. So it's easier for us not to even ask. And that's why at times we don't have. See, we need to be people who learn to know what to ask for. We need to know what to ask for. We know, need to know what to bring before him to discern the difference between our selfish worldly requests and the righteous godly desires that he's placed within our hearts. To be able to rightly see those things and bring them to him in our requests. See, God won't answer a request that is focused on satisfying a, 
a self-desire. Or rooted in his selfish and self-focused attitudes. He's not going to answer those requests. Because that's damaging to us. He will always answer those people that know how to ask the right questions that God can say yes to. That he can respond to. And we will learn later in scripture how we become those people. See, God will always answer a request of faith for something that is good, particularly if it's for others, or to deepen relationship, or to be able to draw closer to him. Verse 4, oh, here we hit some really strong language. I wanted to stay away from this one, but I made sure that I'm going through this this morning step by step. This is one that I wanted to skip. James, and he has an exclamation, you adulterous people. That's a smack. I don't like being called an adulterous person. That hurts. But James is saying that allowing this warring in their spirits for selfish desires causes unfaithfulness to God. See, the church is his bride. We are of the church. We are his bride. We are supposed to love him and be faithful to him and him alone. Nothing is meant to be above him. Nothing is meant to be before him. So James is saying that if you are allowing these warring worldly passions and desires to motivate your thinking and focus your attention away from God, it is like an adulterous response in a relationship. Because if a wife loves something more and desires something more than a husband, then she's unfaithful. Same deal for men, but we're using the bride as the example here. That's why James said, you adulterous people. You're being unfaithful to God when you allow these desires, these passions to manifest in your heart and, and become something that damages relationships. That causes fights and conflicts. Ouch! I don't like that. Then he goes on to say, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. (sighs) He's being hard. I would have loved the peace and peacemaker. The rainbows. See, the things of the world include all those things that opposes God and his commandments. That's what James is talking about here. The things that separate you from God. The things that cause you to walk or take a step away from God. The things that bring fights and quarrels. James is thinking here about all those pleasures and desires that draw people away from God. A desire for wealth position, power, pleasure, acknowledgement. If these are worldly focus, if they're coming from the flesh and not from the spirit, then they're going to cause issues in our lives. Can I be honest? When we hold to the values of the world with more passion and zeal than we do through the ways of God, then we're unfaithful to God. We are what James says here. As harsh as it sounds, 
But that harshness causes us at times to step back and have a look at our lives. I'm not being faithful to God if I'm allowing the world system to dominate the way I act. I'm not being faithful to God if I allow the influences of the world to change the way I interact with God's people. That is why there's conflict. That's why there's quarrels. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? God yearns over that spirit. Why? See, God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Thus the war between spirit and flesh. Because we still have a carnal nature. But we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God himself, in our lives. Constantly leading us to who we should be and the way we should be acting in every situation and relationship in our lives. And there's that war that takes place. See, the Holy Spirit is jealous for us. He's jealous for us to live, desire, long, crave for, hunger, and seek after the right things. Not after the carnal desires, not after the fleshly passions, but after all the right things, the good things, the things of God. And he openly opposes anything in us that will draw us away from God. He will bring it if we allow him to the surface for us to deal with. He'll bring our attention to it. See, he desires for us to be faithful to God. God loves us and he doesn't want us to love or want anything more than we love and want him. So it says jealous. Sometimes we have the wrong understanding of that word. God is jealous. He wants all of our love. He wants all of our desire. But he wants it for our good. Because he knows that there is safety in there. We're not going to be led astray. We're not going to have these conflicts. We're not going to have fights and quarrels. We're going to live the way we need to live. That's why James says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. He being God. In all these things, he gives us his grace. And not only grace, more grace. See, it is his love, it is his love and grace that help us to refuse the temptations of the world that lead to selfish desires and passions. It's because of what he is doing in our lives, has done, is doing, and will continue to do, that helps us say no to these things that will come up within us that cause the conflicts, that cause the quarrels. So when we really look at what God asks of at times, he can put great demands on us. He can. But he also gives us all the help we need to live a life that pleases him. He never asks more of us than what we can give. He is there for us. He is there with us. He gives us strength. He gives us ability. He gives us wisdom we've already learned in in previous weeks. Wisdom that comes from above. He gives us what we need in his grace. His standards are high. But he gives us more than enough strength to meet and uphold those standards and he is willing to hear and respond to those that know how to ask for the right things. 
He is waiting for the right requests. And he will respond to the right requests. Then it says, Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why does he oppose the proud? Somebody who is prideful refuses help. Somebody who is prideful refuses to obey. Somebody who is prideful thinks they can do it by themselves. They've got all the ability. They don't need assistance. Somebody who is prideful is friends with the world because the world is all about self. It's all about achievement. It's all about getting up higher in the ladder. They don't think they need God's help. But the humble are those that recognise their own weakness. See, a humble person depends on God 100%. They know they can't do it without him. They depend on him. They know it is him that grants the correct desires in their hearts. See, God gives us the desires. He places them in there. And he helps us bring them out when we draw near to him. They give themselves to God and seek his desire over their own. It's not their desire. It's what do you want from me, God? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to search and seek out? Humble people need his assistance. Not just want it. They know they need it. They need God. And they have learned to deny self and to live for others. The difference between humble and prideful. These humble people is the complete opposite of what we saw in verse 1. Somebody who is humble and living that way will not have conflicts, will not have quarrels, because they're living for others. They're seeking God's will. They're seeking God's way. They're asking the right questions. Then James says a powerful thing. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submission. The act of allowing someone or something to have power over you. The act of you allowing someone. Not somebody forcing it upon you. Or situations or circumstances. You saying, I'm going to allow this person to have power in my life. That's what James is saying. If you want to get away from all of this, first thing. Submit to God. Submit to God. To do this, you need humility, not pride. That's why he said that, the verse before. A prideful person can't submit. A humble person submits willingly. Submission means denying self and living for another. Living for God. It requires recognising, as Justin said this morning, God is our Lord and our Master. He's right up there. In every aspect of our lives. It's giving our control of our lives to him. It's changing our desires from selfish passion to the godly passion. And to use a term that Justin has been using the last few weeks. It's about leaning in. Leaning in. Submission is leaning into God. You know, you all know, if you've heard me speak before, I like to ride motorbikes. And one of the things about riding a bike is about lean. A couple of bike guys here, you understand. There's a lot involved. But lean is a big part of it, particularly if you go into a corner fast. 
you've got to get the lean right. I was riding to work a couple of weeks back. I don't know if I've told on her this yet, so it might not be a good <laughs> confession. And I was doing about 80 on Pine Creek Way, uh, going to work. And it wasn't 80 zone, so it's okay. It wasn't the 60 zone. And I could see just out of the corner of my eyes, I was just coming straight down the road, this bush turkey come barreling out of the, the bush beside me. And he was a big sucker, not one of the little ones. He was a big boy, probably about this big. And he was on the full fly. And I'm doing 80 and I'm watching him. You know how quickly your brain can actually think at times? It's amazing how quickly my brain thought. Because I sat there and thought, oh, I should try to avoid him. But if I try to avoid him, I'm going to be leaning this way. And he's going to come right into me. And my balance is going to be off. And depending on where he hits the bike, could be catastrophic. Because if he goes into the spokes, I'm already leaning. He pushes. So I sort of sat there for a second. I thought... Mate, I am sorry about this. I looked him, I sized him up, I'm thinking where he's going to get, and I went in instead of away, and I picked where I wanted him to hit on the bike. Now, that sounds harsh, but I got him right in the forks. <laughs> Love it. Now, that was bad for Mr. Bush Turkey, because he did not come out of that. It was good for Steve, because Steve just leant back, back up and just kept on riding. Because I leant into the situation, not away from it. We need to lean into Jesus. And this is what God, oh, James is about to tell us now about connecting with God. See, leaning is an important thing. It leads to the next bit. Next bit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and then resist the devil. Resist. So many people think resist is passive. They think, oh, I'll just step back. Well, stepping back puts you off balance. Leaning the wrong way puts you off balance. Leaning in and, and resisting in the right way, because resist means this, to set oneself against, to withstand, to oppose. You hear the, in those movies about the resistance fighters. They were always on... The, the offensive. They're the ones that were starting the fights. They were resisting. <laughs> I'll pick on Justin. <laughs> well, you didn't do anything this morning. <laughs> Stand up, mate. Now, if I wanted to resist Justin as he attacks me, as he attacks me, <laughs> is it this? I'm off balance. He gives me the right shove when I'm in that position, I'm down. Now, I like to box. <laughs> Many years of boxing. And the fact is, if you box well, you're always on the front foot. Your balance is always right. You're always bouncing backwards and forwards because you want to be able to push back straight away. See, that's resistance. It's not passive sitting back. It's not allowing the devil to hit you. It's not allowing Mr. Bush Turkey to smack you where he wants to smack you. Resistance is standing firm, knowing who you are in God, and pushing back against the devil. Pushing back. And that's why James says here, submit to God and then resist him. Push into him. Resistance isn't passive. And that's why we've learned so much from James over the last few weeks about resisting. Testing builds character. 
That's resisting the devil when we know that. Understanding temptation and sin. Knowing that good gifts come from God. Being doers, not hearers. All resisting. Putting the front foot forward. Leaning in. What true religion is. The sin of partiality. Not to be a respecter of persons. Faith without works is dead. Taming the tongue. Wisdom from above and peace. This is all about positioning ourselves correctly in God and getting the right desires and the right passions in our lives. And the next step, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him. At the beginning of this chapter, we read that people James was speaking to were so caught up in their selfish passions and desires that were experiencing quarrels and fights, even to the point of murder. That's not right. These desires for the things of the world draws a person away from God, not towards him. That's a separation. In wanting to please themselves, they had moved away from God. It was a separation. But thank God, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Simple scripture, but so true and powerful. So please take this the right way when I say it. If there is a gap between you and God, look where you're standing in the relationship. Have you allowed the things we've spoken at this morning to put you on the back foot, to take a step away from God, to draw not nearer but further? Because we know the things in our hearts we can't ask for because they're wrong. Drawing near is to take a step towards, to be on the front foot, to draw closer. Not away, but closer. See, the only way to get, to get true release from a selfish desire and selfish passions is true heartfelt repentance and a concerted effort to draw near to God. Where we really just say, God, I am so sorry for what I've been hungering for, for what I've been seeking. I'm so sorry I've drawn away. I'm going to press in. See, we got on the wall. To be like Jesus is to be with Jesus. And to be with Jesus, you have to be near Jesus. You have to be stepping in, not stepping back. The next scripture, and we'll close in a moment. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Lest your laugh, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I want to ask this question, and then we'll close in prayer. If we have been like the Christians James is writing to, caught up in a world of selfish desire and worldly passions, if our joy is rooted in something other than God, if our worldview has been self-centric instead of others-centered, then we should be wretched. We should mourn and we should weep because that's not where we're meant to live. We should allow God 
to challenge our hearts to the point where we cry out with that whole passion of mourning. Mourning that we're not where we should be. See, this self-abasement is the key to true godly humility and brings us to the place of submitting ourselves to him and genuinely drawing away from worldly desires and passions by drawing near to him with a heart of repentance, a turning away from the world, and a leaning into him. If we let Jesus into our hearts, if we let Jesus into our minds, if we do as James has done so well in these writings, where he points a picture into the innermost parts of who we are, and we become strong enough, confident enough in God to have a look, to take a little peek and say, what really motivates my arguments? What really motivates my conflicts? And we're willing to say, hmm, I don't like that. Then we need to lean into him and draw closer to him and allow his grace to move us on to where we should be. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so much. As your word says, you are jealous for us. Your love is so great and powerful that you are willing to challenge us through your word. You are willing to sometimes bring a bit of pain into our lives so that you can bring joy as we move away from that thing. I thank you that you are a God who is always loving, always caring. You never draw away from us. You are always waiting for us to draw near to you. And when we do, you respond. I thank you you are a, a God that teaches us how to live for others and also how to ask the right things so that your grace and your mercy may shine in our lives and we can become examples to the world of what it is to be changed and to live for you in everything we do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.